I've preached from this scripture before, um, but I think the last time I preached from it, I probably stopped short on this. And we're talking about battleground and winning the battle in your mind. And that's the most important thing. If you can't get it straight up here, it's not going to work out here. And um, God has given us his spirit, not to have a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Paul tells Timothy, you don't have to be fearful. God has given you his spirit so you can think clearly, so you can have power in your life. Amen? And so I think we ought to let the word of God transform our minds so we think different this morning. So I want to talk to you about that again. This is our sixth session at Battleground. And we could probably spend till Jesus comes back because we all think stupid at some level. So we're in good company. So turn your Bibles if you have the uh, paper Bible. You can read it up on the screen. You can go on your phone to the Bible app, John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. If you go on your Bible app, you can click events and find Hedgesville Church and the outline is there. Uh, But I'm terrible at following it, so it's worthless. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Arabic is called, Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five, five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned they had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? He's asking you that question this morning. Every time we're in his presence, he asks, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we pray that it would change us. Lord, we pray that you give us the victory this morning over our thoughts, over our mind. Let us take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. God, you've given us your spirit. So help us to be in charge of our thoughts through the power of your spirit today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. This is a fascinating story. Um, 
there is, uh, they've done some archaeological work and, and they believe they found this area where this pool was. And, and it was actually probably two pools uh, and there's colonnades separating it. And, and um, people, invalid people, people that were sick, lame, uh, blind, they would lay around this thing because they believed that when the water was stirred, that if whoever got it at first would be healed. Now, uh, scholars don't necessarily believe that there is healing virtues in the water other than it's good to drink water. But maybe not water that somebody swam in. So, they believe it could have been maybe a spring that would stir the water. But how many of you know if you believe something, it will cause you to act on it? That's why it's important not to believe dumb stuff. That's why it's important not to believe everything you see on TV. You know what? I try never to start a conversation with, well, I saw on TV one time. Because <laughs> it automatic, automatically makes me less believable. If you say, I read it in a book, then everybody believes you. If you say, I saw it on TV, then they're like, oh, geez. The binge watching Netflix, and now you're smart. So... um so this man had been an invalid for 38 years, and he's at this pool, and um, he's been there long enough to get frustrated. Jesus is in the area and comes and learns of this man's story, and he comes to him. He says, do you want to be well? And the man explains to him why he's not well. Most of you are smart people. You understand right up front that that's not what Jesus asked him. He didn't ask him the reason he wasn't well. He said, do you want to be made well? And so the man gives him the excuse, I've been laying here and I can't get any help to get down in the water and, and somebody else always gets down into the water before me. So here I am. You know, I found in my life, I lock myself into solutions sometimes. You ever do that? I figure out, uh, I figure out how I think things should work in the solution to things and I lock myself into that solution. And then I start praying, not God's will, but I start praying that my solution would come to pass. Amen? Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome when it doesn't come to pass? I've done this all the time. I'm solution oriented. So when a problem happens, I instantly, my wife could tell you, uh, because I have great anxiety over certain things, because she will say, we should go do this. And she's a daydreamer, like, man, we should just, yeah. And I'm instantly like, there's four steps to that. And we got to do this, this, this now. And it's going to cost this much. Ah. And, and so she, she'll just say, I was just dreaming out loud. I'm like, yeah. But now I'm planning out loud. And my solution, my, I've got a solution for it. I'm actually, I don't say this very often, but I'm addicted to dopamine. When you say that's true. I get it in a needle. Um, no, because I like solving things. And if you know anything about your brain is when you solve a salute, when you solve something, your brain will release a little dopamine and you'll get that high and you'll bang your chest like you're the best person. I'm like, I'm so much smarter. Um, so, um, so what happens is I like to work it out beforehand, and, but, I, but I will inadvertently lock myself into a, into a solution. This guy does this. One solution. He's only considered one way to be healed. 
He, he's sitting by a pool where he believes the first person that gets in the water after the water ripples, it gets healed. He's locked himself into that solution. He's not any, asking anybody to take him anywhere else. He's not asking anybody to drop him through a roof like we know another guy did. He's not doing anything else. He has locked himself into a singular solution that's not coming to pass. I believe this is where we end up invoking a crisis of faith in our own lives. Because God is not locked into the solution that I have in mind. I've told you guys about like the way Beth and I met. I had a solution about the way things should work. God, I work with this lady. I didn't say lady. I said, wow, Lord. Um, I thought, Lord, I'm going to ask her if you love me, if you're for me. She'll say yes. And uh, I asked her, she said no. I was like, God, you've obviously abandoned me. (laughs) Now that sounds silly, but don't we go through that cycle over and over and over again in our lives? We set up the pre-made solution that we have for God. And we say, Lord, as long as you work according to my will, then I will believe that faith works. So I've set the solution up. So now, God, you got to step in and do what I'm asking you to do. And when God, who is not reined in by any of our ideas, doesn't do it our way, we automatically go, oh, man, I don't know what God's after me. He's trying to he's trying to hurt me. And we automatically think that God's not for us. And then we start to spiral. Well, I mean, it's not going to work out. I mean, I prayed and I asked. And this guy has the son of God, the one by whom all things were created, standing in front of him, asking him if he wants to be made well. And he says, my solution's not working. I mean, I'm kind of locked into getting into this water and nobody will help me get in the water. Nobody will help. I can't get down there. Woe is me. It's not working out. It's not working out. And he's got a crisis on his hands with the crisis solver standing right in front of him. But he's too busy complaining about his circumstance to realize that the guy just asked him if he wanted to be made well. And so oftentimes in our lives, we settle on one solution. And when Jesus comes into our lives and offers us grace and mercy to make it through, we go, that's not what I was asking for. I was asking for you to put me in the water. That's why what we, pray, what we sang this morning is so important. I surrender. I surrender. I sur- don't we do that with our kids? Come on, if you have kids, don't your kids come to you with a solution? And you go, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. Matter of fact, you could lose a limb doing it that way. That ain't going to work. And so what you do is you try to gently or non-gently, whichever it requires, guide your children into the place where the better solution is what happens. So God does that with us on a continual basis. He hears our prayers. He's not ignoring them. He hears you asking for it. And he says, I'm not going to give that to you right now because the better thing is this. Come on, some of you... um, Sometimes I thank God. I'm that old. 
Nobody knows that. Garth Brooks. Unanswered prayers. It's not that God has left you or abandoned you. He's trying to guide you gently and sometimes non-gently into a better solution. We pigeonhole God into this is the only thing that can make this better. And then we have a crisis on our hands when he doesn't operate the way we want to. And we say, Lord, I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't understand why you're doing this. And he says, I'm trying to get you to a better solution. So my advice for you this morning is just surrender to his will. Amen? Just say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know you knew this problem before I even asked about it. I knew, I know you knew I was an invalid before I ever got to this pool. I know that you know what I need and in your perfect timing, you'll provide for my need. So I'm going to wake up every morning trusting you. I'm going to wake up every morning, not in a crisis, but in confidence. I'm going to wake up every morning, not a victim of my circumstances. We lock in. To a solution that might not be God's. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Ha! Nobody get me in this pool. Been trying to get in for a long time now. Every time that water ripples, somebody else who doesn't deserve it as much as me. Here we go. Somebody else that doesn't deserve it as much as me. Somebody else that hadn't been laying here as long as me. Somebody else jumped to the front of the line. So we start talking about fair Man, if my kids have heard one thing from me, it is life is not fair. I don't even want to have the discussion. And so your mother and I are never going to be fair. We like one of you more. So you guys work hard to figure out who that is. It works, parents. If you tell one of your kids you like them more without the other ones around, then they'll be like, oh, man, it's mom and daddy's secret. Then you tell the other one that you like, just don't. Hope they don't get together on that, you know. I'm just kidding, really. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I'm wondering if him laying here was the best use of all this time. My, My fear... For the church is that, is that we get into difficult situations and we end up hanging around defeated people. All hoping something good will happen. Just like, well, maybe if I lay here long enough. Maybe if I just lay here long enough, something good will happen. Maybe if I lay here long enough, I'll happen to roll into the pool at the right time. Maybe something will happen. I, I, I have a hard time living my life with maybes. Because the Bible is full of absolutes, not maybes. The Bible is full of he will never leave you or forsake you. The Bible is full of he has already won the victory for you. The Bible is full of that he loves you with an unconditional love. The Bible is full of absolutes. And so we live our lives in this maybe world and well, maybe it'll happen. And then we end up being around people like that. Can I tell you that it is important who you're around? Look at your neighbor and say, you're lucky to have me. Tell her, you're lucky to have me. You're lucky to have me right now. It's important who you hang around. Because the funny part is we start to assimilate our mentalities. And, um, and usually, 
if we hang around people who are suffering like we're suffering, then it's not a victorious mentality that happens. The Proverbs actually says something about this. It says, it says in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, I'm not saying everybody laying around that pool is a fool. But what I'm saying is, it's important who you let speak into your life about the solutions that you're, that you're looking for. It's important. I, I've told you this before. I, I decided a long time ago, and this is, not a, this is not to offend anybody in here. So if you get offended, that's your problem. That's how I should say everything. I should start that out every way. If you get offended, that's your problem. I, I decided a long time ago, I don't want to take advice, financial advice from people that don't know how to handle finances. I said that a little nicer than I typically say it. Why would I, why would I take financial advice from somebody that doesn't know how to handle finances? I want to take advice from somebody that knows how to take 500 bucks and turn it into 10,000. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, if you believe that, why don't you hang around those people? It's like we're hanging around people. Man, you got another 500 bucks? Yeah! Let's go get some scratch-offs. No! That's not what you do with the extra $500. That's not what you do. We're all, we're taking everybody out to eat. Get the neighbors. We got 500 bucks. Buy everybody McDonald's something. It's not what you do. That's not what you do. But we tend to hang around people in the same, in the same situations that we are in. If your marriage is struggling right now, find somebody whose marriage is not. And spend your time around them. Here's what happens. We hang around with other people whose marriages are struggling. Then we end up marrying them. I wish I could take that back, but it's, it's already out. It's already out. Can we be real about it? If, I'm, if my marriage is in trouble, I don't want to hang around you when your marriage is in trouble. Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to sit there and we're going to just talk about our spouse and how, my goodness, it's not my fault. I want to get around somebody and say, hey, you're part of this. Suck it up. Be a good husband. You can do this. There's no reason you should get divorced. Here's how we held on. Here's how God sustained us. I want to get around somebody who's been married twice as long as me when we're having trouble. We don't ever have trouble, though. <laughs> How did you do it when your wife acted like that? How did you do it when your husband acted like that? There's nothing new under the sun. You're not dealing with some problem nobody's ever dealt with. But if you hang around sick people, and that's who you're taking advice from all the time, don't be surprised when you stay sick. So I wonder, there wasn't anyone after, after laying there there wasn't any time where it entered his mind. I should get somebody to carry me somewhere else. This ain't working. I'm going to find a new group of people to hang out with. I'm going to find a new group of people. This solution. Let me, let me say this. 
the speed at which you're willing to give up something that's not working in your life determines how well you get better, how quick you get better. The speed at which you're willing to give up the mentality that's keeping you where you are is is directly correlated to the speed at which you will get better. It's like, I got to break off some of the way I think here. I'm sitting around this pool. I'm not getting in it. I'm not getting in. I got to do something different. So watch what happens. Jesus comes. He's standing in front of the guy. He learns of his story. He's standing in front of the guy. He says, hey, you want to be made well? Well, I mean, if it was even possible. He's locked into a solution. Ah, I can't even get in the water. I can't even get in the water. If somebody would help me get in the water, I can't even get in the water. So Jesus looks at the man and he says, pick up your mat and walk. (laughs) And he does. Now I want you to think about this. It says he's been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. So that's not a miracle like I fell off my bike last week, now I feel a little better. 38 years, you know, muscle atrophy, all kinds of things are going on. That physical therapy back then. Well, somebody comes in once a week and stretches my legs. It's been an invalid for 38 years. He says, pick up your mat. And at the voice of the one who created everything, the muscles come back in his legs. He stands up and he begins to walk. But let me tell you something here this morning. You can... You can get what you want and not be made whole. Most sermons I've heard on this subject, on this story, stop here. He was healed. But I think if you look a little farther, you can get what you want but not be made whole. That victim mentality can get a grip on us, can it? So the guy stands up, picks up his mat. It's unbelievable. He doesn't even ask Jesus' name. He walks off. He walks off. And the, and the leaders catch him carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Now, don't you know a bunch of church people are going to screw it up before it's, it's, it's all over? <laughs> a bunch of church people are going to screw this thing up. They said, hey, hey, man. We notice it's a Sabbath and you're carrying your mat. That's a direct violation. I'm going to write you a ticket. Carrying a mat on the Sabbath. They start questioning him because he's carrying his mat on the wrong day. They didn't care that he had legs that he didn't have before that work. He's carrying his mat on the wrong day. So they question him. Hey, hey, you know it's a Sabbath you're carrying your mat. Watch what he says. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He's still blaming somebody else. Uh, Oh, you busted me carrying the mat. I was so excited about my legs. (laughs) I forgot I was carrying the mat because I'm standing up. (laughs) I've never carried it before upright. But he didn't say that. He didn't talk to them like somebody who had victory in his life. He talked to them as someone who was still blaming someone else. 
Oh, wait a second. I don't have the victory. He made me do it. So he got what he wanted, but his mentality hadn't changed yet. So we can pray sometimes and get the thing we want and still, and still act like a victim. He's walking. They're challenging him about carrying a mat. And the first thing he does is, oh, I didn't do it, man. That guy told me to do it. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know. Oh, I don't even, am I standing? I don't even know what's happening right now. He told me to do it. Well, who's he? I don't know. I didn't get his name. We can become so self-centered, we don't even know the name of the one healing us. I don't know, I don't know. I don't know his name. Let me contrast that with something that happened in John chapter 9. Do you mind if I do that? I'm going to anyway. John chapter 9. I'm going to read you another story. John chapter 9. Are you ready? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know what that tells me right there? Stop trying to figure out who to blame. Because sometimes there's no one to blame. Sometimes it's God desiring to display his glory in your life. So just get over blaming somebody, all right? He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, now, if this doesn't show you that you can't lock yourself into a solution, there has been no other part of the Bible that has. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put in the man's eyes. I'd have been like Jesus. Is there any other way? I don't let dudes spit in my eyes. I'm just, it's just me. It's just me. I'd almost rather be blind. If God picks a way to heal you that doesn't line up with your comfort zone, you'll get that later. If God picks a way to heal you that doesn't line up with your solution, you better take it. You better take it. Oh, you, you mean you got to spit in the ground and rub it in my eyes? I hope. Let's get it going. Let's go and spit in that ground. Let's do it. Let's do it. Whatever it takes. You got to spit in the... Jesus, you going to spit in the ground? Like, just... You want a drink of water? You want... What do I need to do? How do I... No, but one, but sometimes what happens is God says, this is how you'll be made whole. And we go, you're not rubbing spit in my eye. What will people think? If I'm walking around here with mud in my face, washing myself, like you said, what are people going to think? What are they going to think? They're going to think you can see now. They're going to think you can see now. So Jesus spits on the ground, rubs it in the guy's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool. There's so many correlations to these two scriptures. This guy actually is told by Jesus himself to go wash in the pool and he's made whole. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him beg, uh, begging asked, isn't this the same guy who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. He's his doppelganger. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked him. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. He left out the spit part. 
the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. He said they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day to which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. (laughs) Somebody's going to pay. Doing good things on, on church day. Therefore, the Pharisees or let me back up. Where's the man? They asked. I don't know. He said they brought to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes with the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, a man replied, and I washed. And now I see some of the some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe he had been blind, had received sight, until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say who was born blind? How is it that he can now see? His parents are like, uh, we, yeah, yeah, he's ours. Yeah. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't have a clue. Ask him. (laughs) We ain't getting in this. (laughs) Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. By telling the truth, they said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, now listen to the response. The guy who was at the pool of Bethesda, they said, who healed? Why are you carrying your mat? Because some guy I don't even know told me to. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I don't want to, don't, don't yell at me. I didn't do it. Watch this. They asked him, what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. I can see now, and you guys are starting to get on my nerves. (laughs) Now listen to the difference in their speech. He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the, to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Juxtaposition with a guy who is still blaming somebody else. Who is still blaming somebody else. It's fascinating that Jesus gives us the victory and we still act blind. We still act invalid. He gives us the victory. He stands in front of us offering a whole life. And we're still caught up blaming. We're still, we're still acting like we can't walk. And the victory is right there. There is no correlation 
between victory and victim. There's no, they don't cohabitate in the same place. The only thing they have in common is a V. He's given us the victory. And so one man says, I'm tired of all the questions. All I know is I couldn't see one moment and now I can see again. You guys deal with it. He healed me and so that's all I got to go on. The other guy is saying, oh no, it's his fault. Still a victim mentality. Still wants to blame somebody else. And it gets so bad to the point that this happens. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He said, drop the attitude, buddy. Something worse could happen. Now, listen, this is what I saw this the other day. I thought the, the nerve of this guy. But you know what happened? There was another guy who came after him, did the same thing. Judas Iscariot. Jesus comes to him and says, hey, listen, buddy, be careful what you're doing. Something worse could happen to you. The guy finds his name out and goes back and tells on him. After he was healed. I'm healed, but I'm still acting like. I'm still acting like I'm not. I'm still acting like I'm a victim. I'm still acting. And he says, I got his name now can't blame me for any of this i got his name his name's jesus his name's jesus juxtaposition that with a guy who said i don't care what you think all i know is i was blind one minute and this man spent some mud rubbed it in my eyes and i washed it out now i'm not if you want to argue about what day he did it on you can do that on your own i've got victory now i'm about ready to take a lap i'm gonna take a lap I'm going to take a backwards lap because I can see all the way around now. Church, if God's given you the victory, don't give it back. If God's given you the victory, don't give it back. You have been given something, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, dwells in you. Why would I stoop down and let the devil convince me that I cannot be healed, that I cannot be delivered, that I cannot have peace, that I cannot have freedom, that I cannot have all these things? Why do I do that day after day after day that my marriage can't work, that my kids will never listen, that my job, my my boss is out to get me? Why do I give up the victory that he gives me every day to play a victim? He gave it to me. We forget so quick. The guy walked in with the legs Jesus healed and blamed him. How often do we do that? We take the money that he provided for us. We take the, we take the relationships that he provided for us. And then we blame him when they don't turn out the way we want it. Play the victim. You've got to remind yourself. It's quick to forget. You're quick to forget. Oh, I can stand now. It's not my fault. I can stand now. He did it. I can stand now. Do you think he gave his legs back? I'm taking those. But I'm blaming him. How many times do we do that, church? Take a gift from God. And then just to turn around when it's not working out the way we want. And say, hey, you did this. You did this. God, you, you, you're walking on the legs I gave you. You're standing upright because I made you stand upright. 
You're still here today because He saved you. You're still in a relationship today because, because He held it together. You're still in the job because, because of His sheer will in your life. So stand up on the legs He gave you. Go to work in the job He gave you tomorrow. Wake up in the marriage He gave you tomorrow and say, I'm not blaming God for anything else. I'm going to act like I already won it all. I'm going to act like a victor because He's given me the victory. I'm, I am done with getting the victory and acting like I'm still an invalid. I'm done getting the victory and acting like I'm still blind. I am a victor. I'll start acting like it. I'm going to put the mentality of a sick person away. Amen? And the band's going to come. Stand to your feet. Psalm 77, verse 11 says, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. This guy had about a short, as bad a short-term memory loss as anybody in the Bible. A victim mentality will cause you to forget everything God's done in your life. It'll cause you to forget. It'll, it'll be like it never happened. Jesus healed my legs, and now I'm standing in front of people blaming him for it. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be like the guy who was born blind. You can't take this away from me. I don't care if he did it on every Sabbath. You can't take it away. You can't take it away from me. I'm going to say this one last thing. If God has done something in your life and the sick people that you're hanging around don't believe it, don't give it back because they don't believe it. Did you hear me? Because what happens is the people, the victims around you will start to coalesce on you because you were one of them at one time. And they'll start to say, well, I don't know. I don't think that was God. He didn't do it right. If that was God, he wouldn't have done it that way. Just tell them, you know what? Don't, don't hate on me because I can see now. Don't, don't get mad at me because I can walk. Don't, we're not going to have a discussion about how I got healed. Just recognize that I can see. Because what's shocking to our system is that when God comes into our lives and does something remarkable, some people don't celebrate it. It's shocking. You're, you're expecting God did something unbelievable. You're expecting you'll tell your friends and they're all going to start clapping like, man, we knew it. We knew it. But the problem is you're hanging out with the person that's going, well, I wish I could get in the water. So you go back and they start arguing about the Sabbath. They start arguing about how, how it was done. Was it done this way? Was it done that way? And I just love the guy that was blind. I don't know, man. I don't know. But you ain't taking this away from me. I can see now. I can see all of y'all's ugly faces arguing about this thing. And I think it's funny. <laughs> you guys fight for yourself. I don't care. I can see now. And I'm leaving with my eyesight. I'm, le- I'm walking out of here on my own. I don't need a stick. I don't need anybody to hold my hand. Y'all keep arguing. I'm walking out on my own. If we could remember what God has done. 
have that confidence. And when Satan comes in and says, hey, that wasn't done the right I can see. That's all I need to know. Father, we ask you this morning. You're standing in front of us right now asking us that same question. Do you want to be made well? I pray everybody in this room would emphatically say yes. Today, Lord, make me whole. Don't just give me what I want. Make me whole, Lord. Make me well. And God, when the enemy comes in to try to convince us that it wasn't done properly, I pray that the victory would stay. I pray there wouldn't be a temporary victory, just a lapse back into a victim. God, but I pray that we'd stand up with our shoulders back and we'd remember all that you've done for us. God, you have given us the victory. Your shed blood on that cross bought every victory we would ever need for the rest of our lives. And it gave us the most important victory of eternal life. And so we ask you this morning to convince us that you are offering us a a whole life today. And we just have to respond with with an enthusiastic, yes, Lord, I want to be made whole. And I, and I will follow you. I will accept it. I will live like a victor because you have saved me, redeemed me, set me free. You've made me whole today. We thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, honor and praise him this morning. He's good. Amen.